This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. We're going to be starting in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thanks, Angela. So the other day, Courtney and I were at the, in the living room sitting together, and I noticed that she was staring at me. And then she said, you haven't heard a word I said, have you? And I thought to myself, that's a weird way to start a conversation. (laughs) That didn't actually happen, but I'm telling you, it it very well could happen, okay? (laughs) Things like that have happened. Conversation, uh, effective conversation is a two-way street. It is both the speaker trying to speak with clarity, and it's the listener listening intently to hear and respond appropriately. And both are needed. And that's true in any conversation, any communication, any marriage for sure. But it's also true of the preaching of the word of God. As the speaker, as the preacher, uh, me or Adam or Drew, we have the responsibility to stand here and do our due diligence to tell you what the word of God has said. This is God's word to you. And that's what we want to share but, but, but you have, as the listener also, a responsibility to take it in and to respond appropriately. Do you know if you don't do that, then church just becomes religious entertainment? That you just come, you sit, and you listen, and you leave, and pat yourself on the back by going to church. But, but look what the folks did here in this. So, so here we have the book of Acts. We're marching our way through the book of Acts, and Peter stands up, and he preaches the word. And the people respond. And I want to challenge you every time you come under the teaching of the word of God, let's, let's seek to respond with the heart of authenticity. In fact, here's the big idea of the day. Write this down. I will respond to God's word with an authentic heart. I will respond to God's word with an authentic heart. Now, listen, I got to use that word authentic because in our world today, we, we prim and we prime everything for show. Everything's done so others will see it. People virtue signal, not because they believe in the cause, but they want people to believe that they believe in the cause. (laughs) We judge up everything and take Insta photos of them and put them out for the world to see, and we curate our life to look a certain way. So, And we do it so often, it's so much, that, that, that even though people are dying for authenticity, very few people are actually living authentically. 
And I want to say it's just put away all that. Let's just get real with the Lord this morning. And, and to have a heart of authenticity when the word of God is preached. So from this text, I want to grab several elements of what that looks like. And here's the first. Write this down. Number one, it must start with an authentic message. It must start with an authentic message. Let's go back to the text here again. I want your eyes to fall on Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. Watch this now. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here's Peter, and he's preaching a message. And listen, what was his message? His message was simple. The message was Jesus. His message was Jesus. Adam did a great job last week of standing here in the pulpit and unpacking for you the actual sermon that Peter preached. And Adam pointed out the fact that it was all about Christ. In fact, here's his outline from last week where he said that Jesus was the great defeater of death. Jesus is the point of Scripture. Jesus is exalted above all. I loved, even though I couldn't be here, I was like so many of you do when you're sick or so many of you are right now sitting in your living room watching and just love the fact that Jesus soared so well in that message as he should because he is the point of it all. And you know this, right? I mean, it, Adam pointed it out, but it's just the reality and the truth of it is that the message of the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the message of the Bible. And we know that because as he was walking down the road to Emmaus, what did he do? He stopped and he showed them from Moses, it said, and, and law and the prophets. He showed them who he was all throughout Scripture. Now, listen, if Jesus Christ is the point of it all, then what you do with Jesus is the most important decision of your life. If he's the answer to it all, then what people around us do with Jesus is the most important thing. Jesus must, he is the answer, and he must be the answer, but it's not the answer the world is offering up. The world's giving you all kinds of solutions. If I were to ask you, hey, what are some things the world says is the answer? What would you say the world would say was the answer? Probably you'd have to point to at least two key things. One thing is just believe in yourself. Just believe in you. Oh, if you just believed in yourself more, if you were more confident in you and who you were and, and all of that, then, 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 then you can do anything you want to. Just believe in yourself. That's definitely one of the messages the world would preach to. Is that the real answer? It's a fake answer. Or, or maybe you would hear, follow your heart. Just do what feels good to you and follow your heart. If you just followed your heart, everything's going to be Okay. I'm telling you, I can give you testimony after testimony. People who follow their heart, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. That's the answer the world's going to give you. And then, then, then there's the church in America. And I'm telling you, all the church in America is is really just Christian versions of that. Five things you need to be a better person. Six ways to make your marriage better. Nothing really coming from the word of God. I saw one sermon title was, Everything I Needed to Know About God I Learned from 80s Rock Music. <laughs> now listen, I used to play 80s rock music, and there ain't a whole lot about Jesus in that, okay? I'm just telling you, straight up. You ever do this? You ever like actually see the lyrics of a song you know well, and you're like, oh. <laughs> but Jesus is the answer. Now, that sounds so simple to say, right? I mean, 
you've heard it in Sunday school, right? How many of you grew up in Sunday school? Raise your hand. You grew up in Sunday school. Yeah, yeah these kids were in Sunday school. And, and one day, a, a senior pastor was visiting a, a young Sunday school class, and he was talking to them and just trying to you know, connect with them a little bit. So he asked them an easy question. He said, hey, guys, what is brown and furry and has a big bushy tail? They were all looking around kind of sheepishly, and one little boy raises his hand and says, Pastor, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it kind of sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> Because we'll say it, we'll say it over and over again. Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. But is Jesus the answer? Is he really the answer? Can we really say that? I mean, we get people around us with all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues, all kinds of things they're dealing with. Can we really say, hey, Jesus is the answer to those problems? Is it really true? Now look, in addition to preaching from the pulpit, as I love to do, as you know I love to do, I also often get the opportunity of sitting down one-on-one with people with Doug, and one-on-one and just sharing what the Word of God has to say. I mean, I've had all kinds of people walk into my counseling room uh, with issues, and I'm telling you, some of these are difficult issues. I had one guy walk in, he had 20 different psychological labels. I'm not kidding, 20 different ones. He's been to all kinds of counselors, he said, but now I'm here with you and you're going to help me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you can take all those issues and you can tie them back to common things like guilt and shame. People are dealing with guilt and shame all the time. Past mistakes they've made, things they've done, they just feel so guilty and so ashamed. And that guilt and the shame, and what does the world tell them to do? Well, give it a label. You can't help it. It's a disease. Hey, let's blame it on your mom and your dad. Let's say push past the guilt off. But, but, but what answer do we have for guilt and shame? Jesus died for every sin I've done. And I can be forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. My guilt and my shame can be buried in the cross of Christ. I don't have to bear it anymore. Jesus bore it for me. I'm free from guilt and shame. Isn't that amazing? What's the answer to guilt and shame, church? The answer is Jesus. Oftentimes people just want to be loved. And I've, I've heard stories in my counseling room of people who've grown up in homes where they were treated terribly. Some were abused in all kinds of ways. I've had man after man in my counseling room who just longed to hear their father say, I love you and I'm proud of you. The Bible says that if you know Jesus, that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world and that he loves you and that he rejoices over you with singing. And you are loved by God. Today in my devotions, I was in uh, the psalm that repeats over and over again, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord, probably like 30 times in this psalm, like, Jamie, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the answer to my need of love is, church, Jesus. Do you struggle with anxiety and worry? If you've ever struggled with anxiety and worry, say Amen. I have. How do I know that God's going to take care of me? How do I know that? Well, he didn't spare his own son. So what's the answer to my fear and anxiety? The answer is, church, this is the answer we got to give people. This is the answer. It's the only real authentic answer. It's the only real one that's out there. And do you know why it works? We don't do it because it works. We're not pragmatists. We share Jesus because it's true. Can I get a witness? 
I hope you're taking your things to Jesus Christ. I hope he really is the answer for your soul. I wanted to point out to you that the message was Jesus, but I also want to point out this to you as well. The method was boldness. The method was boldness. <laughs> it, it wasn't a great, look back at your text. Wasn't it great how Peter was just so careful how he worded things that he didn't want to be offensive to anybody. He wanted to be really politically correct. So he was so careful in how he said what he said. Isn't that great how that happened? Well, it's not quite happened that way, did it? Let's take a look at verse 36 again. Look, look what he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, this Jesus who you crucified. There was no watering down. There was no changing it to make it more palatable for other people. It was bold, clear truth. The word bold comes up often in uh, Acts. In fact, we're going to see this in a couple of weeks. This is Acts chapter 4. This is where uh, Peter and John were told not to preach Jesus. And then this happens. They, they, they were brought back. The church was meeting. The church was gathering. The church was praying for them after they were released. And then uh, the church prays this in verse 29 of Acts 4. He says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all church boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with church. Boldness, boldness. What is boldness? What is boldness? Isn't this boldness? Isn't boldness me going downtown Fort Wayne and putting the soapbox down and, and standing up and saying, you all are a bunch of sinners who need Jesus. That's boldness, right? Is that boldness? kind of boldness. It could look like that, but, but, but the word boldness is really interesting in the original language because it's not just that in your face, loud preaching to you there. It it's really just means clear and plain and truthful. It's not arrogance, I have the truth and you don't. It's not obnoxious. What it is is simple and clear plain and truthful. Look, this is what you need. You're a sinner and you need Jesus. That's boldness. By the way, I think because it stands so heavy on absolute truth, this is why it's hard for the church today, infected by what the world around us has told us about relative truth, that we don't want to stand because one of the most offensive things you can do is say that your truth is the only truth. But it is. It is. I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said in John 14. We need to be bold. Now, I share all of this with you for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to know that from the pulpit of Redemption Bible Church here in Fort Wayne, we will make Jesus the center of it all. We're committing to you this morning again. The message is always going to be Jesus. And we're going to be bold. I'm not going to be afraid to tell you the truth and to say it plainly. If it's in the word of God, it's going to be lived here, offensive or not offensive. But not only are you receivers of the word of God, you are also speakers of the word of God. 
And you speak the word of God, I hope, to one another. And I hope what you do in your life is point each other to Jesus. And you speak the word of God to those who need it outside of our church. And I'm really hoping that you are just make him the message. So let me just ask a few important questions here. First of all, what's your life message? What is your life message? If I were to sum up what you say to other people frequently, what would that message be? I hope, I hope it's beyond politics. I hope it's beyond issues. I hope it's Jesus. When people come to you for help, where do you point them? If he is the answer, where should we point them? We should point them to Jesus. Are you yourself living with Jesus as the center of your life so much that you know how to point others to him for help? Do you get, the, do you get that question? Okay, here's what I mean by that. Are you, like, when you start to feel fear and worry, where do you go? Do you go to Jesus? When you start to feel that pull toward pleasure that's outside of the word of God, where do you go for help? Do you run yourself to Jesus Christ and find him to be the satisfaction of your soul? When you're tempted to lie or tempted to gossip or tempted, does your mind go back to Jesus Christ? And do you live every day so much in the joy of that personal relationship that you can say to somebody else, this is what I do? If not, then maybe there needs to be a recentering of your life around who he is. Do you sometimes hold back, scared about what others will perceive, uh, perceive your message, how others will perceive your message? Let's be bold. Let's be bold and let's have an authentic message. So it starts with an authentic message. Write this down as well. An authentic message will bring this. It'll bring authentic conviction. It'll bring authentic conviction. Back to the text. We preach verse 36. Where should I go next? Makes sense to me. Let's go on to verse number 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Interesting word in the original language. It's one word, and it literally means to violently pierce through. So if you can imagine a sword, and you're violently shoving it so hard that it cuts past bone and muscle and sinew, it gets right down to the core of the person. That's kind of the idea. It's a violent action. And what, what they're saying is spiritually, when they heard Peter preach, it just pierced him right through. And of course it did. Because look what I told them. You know the long-awaited Messiah, the one you've been praying for, the one you've been asking for? Remember that Messiah? Yeah, he came, and you killed him. He came, and you killed him. This is why, church, we can't water down the message. We can't change the message. We can't alter the message. We can't attempt to make it more palatable. Because when we do, we rob it of its power to convict and we have to be very, very careful with conviction because conviction can be both godly conviction and it can be worldly conviction. Let me show you this in the Word of God. Take your Bible, if you would, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, as you turn to 2 Corinthians 7, I want to point out to you that uh, Paul probably wrote several letters to the church in Corinth. 
Uh, we know that he wrote 1 Corinthians. Most Bible scholars believe there were maybe one or two more in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. So we might have really 3rd or 4th Corinthians, but only two were inspired of the Holy Spirit. But in one of these letters, previously to 2 Corinthians, in one of these letters, Paul was really forceful about pointing out the sin of the church. Now, he did that in 1 Corinthians as well, uh, but, but he really pointed out their sin, and there was some conviction that it brought. So now Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians is removed from them, haven't seen them in a while, Titus comes, and Paul's discouraged about some things going on, and Titus shares some news that, that, that lightens Paul's heart and encourages Paul. He says, that, hey, the church in Corinth has really, really repented. And so then you pick it up then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's look at verse number 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. In other words, I wrote this letter and it made you feel bad. And I felt bad about making you feel bad. But now I don't feel bad anymore. And here's why. Verse number nine. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So there was conviction that brought repentance. For you felt a godly conviction, a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through this, through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, worldly conviction produces death. So how do I know my conviction is godly? Now watch this now, church. Verse number 11. How do I know it's godly? Here it is. For see what earnestness this godly grief has brought in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you proved yourself innocent in the matter. They were so convicted by their sin. They're like, I'm not going back. I'm not doing that again. I'll never want to do that again. I want to turn and run from my sin. And they had a passion and zeal. Why? Because it was godly conviction. And, and they we're just told there could be worldly conviction. I don't want worldly conviction. I don't want a false conviction. So what's the difference? Well, I think if someone points out your sin, you can react sadly, and there could be a lot of reasons why you could be sad. One reason is you can be sad because you got caught. Man, I, I, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, and I'm just sad that people know about my sin. It's not godly conviction. This one sounds like it is, but it's really not. Sad others will be hurt. My sin hurts my family, and I'm really sad about that. I'm sad of the shame that I brought my family. I'm sad that my wife is ashamed. I'm sad that my kids are, are, are caught up in all of this. And I'm, and I'm sad. It's a good thing to be sad about how your sin affects others, but it shouldn't be the root of it. It's not where it begins. I think a lot of people are here. I'm sad I'm not a better person. <laughs> oh, I hate this. I thought I was better than this. I was in a better place than this, and here I am falling again, and we're sad about that. None of that is godly conviction. You know what the root of godly conviction is? I am heartbroken that I sinned against the God who loved me. I am heartbroken that I sinned against Jesus who died for me. See, worldly Sorrow, worldly conviction is all about me somehow, where godly conviction is centered on God and what I've done to God. Well, how do you know that's godly conviction? Well, consider David's repentance in Psalm 51. David felt conviction. What did David say? He said this, 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Did you notice that? You, you only have I sinned. Hold on a second, pal. There's Bathsheba. Shouldn't you feel bad about what you did to her? Hey, there's the child that died as a result of your sin. Shouldn't you feel bad about that child? Hey, how about Uriah? You killed that dude. Shouldn't you feel bad about that? You know, Nathan knows and everybody knows. All these things, you sin against a lot of people, but not primarily and David says, no, it's about my God. I sinned against my God. You and you only. Man, does that conviction about who Jesus is and that you sinned against him break our hearts? This is how we receive the word of God. Let me ask a couple of questions from you. I want you to think about the last time someone pointed out your sin to you. By the way, do you have people that are willing to point out your sin to you? Do you have some folks in your life that are willing to say, hey, that was sin. Hey, I see a pattern. It needs to stop. If you don't, our small groups better be doing that. I got several spheres of relationships. My elders keep me accountable. My small group guys keep me accountable. Other pastors keep me accountable. I want layers of that in my life. What's your response? How did you respond the last time someone pointed out your sin? What feelings of guilt and shame are really more about others? And that's what really drives your conviction. Here's a good question. If you were to experience separation from God because of your sin, would you even notice? Are you walking that closely with Jesus that offending him makes you sick? And it's all of, listen, church, I can't say it enough. It is all about your personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's get real. Let's get real. Don't come here and fake it. Don't pretend like it's something it's not. Are you actually walking in a love relationship every day with Jesus Christ? It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing to you. An authentic message will bring authentic conviction, but it leads somewhere, and I want you to write this down next. It leads to authentic repentance. It leads to authentic repentance. Go back to the text. Verse number 37 again. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Back in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, what did he tell them, church? Give me the word. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he repent. We're going to see this later on in the text. In chapter 3, he's going to say again, repent. Repent, repent, repent. That's what we need to do, repent. And I think we're real confused in today's church about what repentance really is. Take, for exa example, Jack and Jim. Uh, now, I don't know who these guys' real names, two models here, but we'll call them Jack and Jim. And they're meeting for their weekly accountability. And Jack's like, hey, Jim, how'd you do this week? Oh, man, I did terrible. I just terrible. I, I struggled with porn again this week. Oh, man, that stinks. I'm so sorry for that. Yeah, dude, but it's okay. I, I, I confess my sin to God, and I'm confessing it to you. Oh, great, so you repented. Yeah, I repented. Maybe? First steps potentially of repentance, but do you know what repentance actually is? Think, think back to 2 Corinthians 7, what zeal, what indignation, 
There is a passion to change. And merely confessing our sins is not the fulfillment of repentance or the totality of repentance. Merely feeling bad about it isn't fully repentance yet. Repentance is a change and a turn. Consider what MacArthur had to say about this. Repentance refers to a change of mind and purpose that turns an individual from sin to God. Such change involves more than fearing the consequences of God's judgment. Genuine repentance knows that the evil of sin must be forsaken and the person and work of Christ totally and singularly embraced. So I need to use one for an illustration. How about Jaden? Jaden, come here, please, if you would. Yeah, you couldn't, you tried, you tried, didn't you? But let's talk about repentance for a little bit. Let's say that Jaden is walking one way. Jaden is walking one way, just walk one way. And all of a sudden, Jaden comes face to face with the word of God, okay? Whoa. Face to face with God's word. And God says, that's the wrong way. There, repentance is not a, oh, I feel bad about that but I'm going to keep walking. That's not repentance. I'm going to tell other people about it, but I'm going to keep walking this way. That's not repentance. Repentance is I'm not going there anymore, and I'm going a new way. You can have a seat. Repentance is a turn. It's a change. Let's go back to Jack and Jim for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. I, man, it just stinks, but I confessed it. Okay. What computers did you smash this week, bro? What phone did you run over this week? Now, I'm not saying if you're struggling with pornography, you had to run over your phone, but you better have some kind of internet protection, some filters, some accountability that, that keeps that stuff out of your home. Listen, I don't want, in the heart household, I don't want any device that has unfiltered, unaccounted for access to the internet. I want zero. Oh, man. Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it's something different for you. And social drinking is, is, you know, very active today in the church of God. I think, you know, God has given wine to make merry the heart of men, all of that. But if drunkenness begins to be a line that you're stepping over on a regular basis, the word of God says, do not be drunk with wine. And it's not okay if you do that. And if you're stepping over that line, you're stepping over the line, then maybe some bottles need to go into the trash. What is it in your life? Relationships that drag you down, then break the relationships. I've had to do that several times in my life. And it's hard and it hurts, but it's repentance. Gossip, slander, those are the harder ones because you can't just rip your tongue out of your mouth. That's why James says what it says about the tongue and how hard it is to get victory over that sin. But I'm saying there's got to be things in your life where you... There's action to repentance. You know, the, this, this church saw that. There was action to their repentance. Take a look back at the text. Because what does Peter say to do? Peter says in verse number uh, 38, repent and, you see this, be baptized? Isn't that interesting? Repent and be baptized. Now, what, why is he emphasizing baptism so much to this particular group of people? Well, this is the group of people that publicly cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were the ones who publicly declared him to be a criminal. And real repentance looks like a real change. And no longer are we publicly declaring him to be a criminal. We're publicly declaring him as Lord. And we're going to show that to the world by being baptized. It was an action of repentance. And maybe in your life there's an action of repentance that you need to take this week. 
as serious. And we fail to understand that our sin offends the God who loved us enough to die for us. We fail to feel the weight of it and to know that our sin, our sin, my sin, Jamie Hart's sin, was the pressure that pushed the nails into his hands and feet. And I gotta stop, and I gotta turn. So let me ask you this morning, what specific sins do you know you've been playing around with? Remember when Adam preached, he talked about the baby tiger? What deadly pet sins are you hiding still? It's time, church, to get real, to be authentic, and to really repent. Because I have some good news for you. Authentic, an authentic message brings authentic conviction, which leads to authentic repentance, which brings to us authentic forgiveness. Authentic forgiveness. Look at the text. Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What sins specifically did they need forgiven of? They were the ones that actually put Jesus on the cross. Hey, some of these people that were at Pentecost were the same ones that were crying just days before, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Some of these folks were the ones that were at the foot of the cross, mocking Jesus as he died. How heinous do you have to be to mock a dying man, especially the Christ? Now, I know all of our sin put him there, that's true, but this sin is particularly wretched, and even this sin could be forgiven. In fact, Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. And I know you got sin in your life. I know you do. We all do. Let's get real about it. When you feel that conviction and you determine in your heart and you make changes of real repentance, God brings real forgiveness. And I want you to know this morning the shame, go ahead and come up. The shame, the disgrace, the that you feel can be forgiven. And that message is all throughout the Bible. Here's uh, Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, which says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man in his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. For he will, read the last two words, church, he will abundantly pardon this is going to come up in Acts in a few, few weeks. Here's Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, which says this, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is what comes from authentic, real Repentance. Now, here we are this morning, and I'm preaching to you, and sometimes when I preach to you, I want to encourage you. And so we'll just sing a song, and we'll go. And that's okay. 
Sometimes I want to inform you and teach you. It's more of a teaching sermon at times, and there's times we just want to get the Word of God and, and give you some principles, and then we just let you go, and that's okay. But then there are messages that I just believe demand a response. And I've been praying like crazy this week, and I was up early this morning praying that when we got to this point that the Holy Spirit would just lay some things on your heart. And I think there's some repentance that's needed. I know there is. You need to believe that you can really, really be forgiven. Because when you really believe you can be forgiven, nothing will hold you back from confessing that sin and being real about it. You can be forgiven in Christ. But first it takes that conviction, that confession, that repentance. So right now we're going to just give you an opportunity just to pray and to confess. And even right now, you can just begin to pray and confess your sin to God. In fact, everyone just bow their head, close their eyes. Let's just take a moment of prayer and just pray right now. sometimes you have to take it to the next level. Repentance requires action. And maybe there's some things you got to drag into the light this morning. We're going to sing a song next, and if you need to, I want you to know there's an altar up here, so to speak, for you to come and to pray. And if the Holy Spirit is laying it on your heart just to drag your sin to the light, maybe you just need to come and kneel here and pray and ask for forgiveness this morning and really make a change. No one's going to bother you initially. We may follow up with you later, but just come on up, confess that to the Lord, and repent. And so, Father, I ask that you would just do that work in the hearts of our people this morning. We want to bring you glory. I want sin to be dealt with this morning, God. I've had to deal with sin in my own life. I've had to confess and I've had to drag out tigers. I've had to do all of that. And I'm sure there's more I need to do. I just pray, Father, you would not hold us back from real repentance this morning so that we can experience those times of refreshing in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.